Chapter One, Part One of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three by Eugène Sue. Chapter One, The Temple, Part One to the deep snow which had fallen during the past night had succeeded a very sharp wind so that the ordinarily muddy pavement was hard and dry as rigolette and rodolphe wended onwards to the immense and singular bazaar called the temple the young girl leaning unceremoniously on the arm of her cavalier who on his part appeared as much at his ease as though they had been old familiar friends what a funny old woman madame pipelet is observed the grisette to her companion and what very odd things she says well i thought her remarks very striking as well as appropriate which of them neighbour why when she said young people would be young people and vive l'amour well well i only mean to say those are precisely my sentiments your sentiments yes i should like nothing better than to pass my youth with you taking vive l'amour for my motto i dare say for certainly you are not hard to please why where would be the harm are we not near neighbours of course we are or else i should not be seen walking out with you in this manner in broad day then you allow me to hope hope what that you will learn to love me oh bless you i do love you already really to be sure i do why how can i help it you are good and gay though poor yourself you have done all in your power by interesting rich people in the fate of the morals your appearance pleases me and you have altogether a nice look and a sort of air such as one is glad to find in a person we expect to go about with a great deal so there i think are abundant reasons for my loving you then suddenly breaking into loud fits of laughter rigolette abruptly exclaimed look there only look at that fat woman with the furred shoes what does she remind you of i'll tell you of a great sack being drawn along by two cats without tails and again she laughed merrily i would rather look at you my pretty neighbour than at all the fat old women or tailless cats in europe i am so delighted to find you already love me i only tell you the truth if i disliked you i should speak just as plainly i cannot reproach myself with ever having deceived or flattered any one but if a person pleases me i tell them so directly again interrupting the thread of her discourse the grisette drew up suddenly before the windows of a shop saying oh do pray only look at that pretty clock and those two handsome vases i had already saved up three francs and a half and had put it in my money-box to buy such a set as that in five or six years i might have been able to buy them saved up do you say then i suppose you earn at least thirty sous a day sometimes forty but i never reckon upon more than thirty which is the more prudent and i regulate all my expenses accordingly said rigolette with an air as important as though she was settling the financial budget but with thirty sous a day how do you manage to live oh bless you that is easily reckoned shall i tell you how i manage neighbour i fancy you are rather extravagant in your notions so perhaps it may serve as a lesson for you yes pray do well then 
thirty sous a day make five and forty francs a month do they not yes well then out of that i pay twelve francs for lodging that leaves me twenty-three francs for food etc is it possible twenty-three francs for one month's food yes really all that certainly for such a person as myself it does seem an enormous sum but then you see i deny myself nothing oh you little glutton ah but then remember i include the food for both my birds in that sum certainly it seems less exorbitant when you come to reckon for three than for one but just tell me how you manage day by day that i may profit by your good example well then be attentive and i will go over the different things i spend in it first of all one pound of bread that costs four sous then two sous worth of milk makes six four sous worth of vegetables in winter or fruit and salad in summer i am very fond of salad because like vegetables it is such a nice clean thing to prepare and does not soil the hands there goes ten sous at once then three sous for butter or oil and vinegar to season the salad with that makes thirteen sous a pail of nice fresh water oh i must have that it is my principal extravagance that brings it to fifteen sous don't you see then add two or three sous a week for chickweed and seed for my birds who generally have part of my bread and milk all this comes to exactly twenty-three francs a month neither more nor less and do you never eat meat meat indeed i should think not why it costs from ten to twelve sous a pound a likely thing for me to buy besides there is all the nuisance and smell of cooking instead of which milk vegetables or fruit are always ready when you wish for them i tell you what is a favourite dish of mine without being troublesome to prepare and which i excel in making oh pray let me know what it is why i get some beautiful ripe rosy apples and put them at the top of my little stove when they are quite tender i bruise them with a little milk and just a taste of sugar it is a dish for an emperor if you behave well i will let you taste it some day prepared by your hands it can scarcely fail being excellent but let us keep to our reckoning let me see we counted twenty-three francs for living etc and twelve francs for lodging that makes thirty-five francs a month well then out of the forty-five or fifty francs i earn there remains from ten to fifteen francs a month for my wood and oil during the winter as well as for my clothes and washing that is to say for soap and other requisites because excepting my sheets i wash my own things that is another of my extravagances a good laundress would pretty well ruin me while as i am a very quick and good ironer the expense is principally that of my own time during the five winter months i burn a load and a half of wood while i consume about four or five sous worth of oil for my lamp daily that makes it cost me about eighty francs a year for fire and lights so that you have in fact scarcely one hundred francs to clothe yourself and find you in pocket money no more yet out of that sum i manage to save my three francs and a half but your gowns your shoes this smart little cap as for caps i never wear one but when i go out so that is not ruinous and at home i go bareheaded as for my gowns and boots have i not got the temple to go to for them ah yes this convenient handy temple so you buy there all sorts of pretty and excellent dresses why only imagine great ladies are accustomed to give their old cast-off gowns etc to their maids when i say old 
i mean that perhaps they have worn them for a month or two just to ride out in the carriage well and then the ladies maids sell them to the persons who have shops at the temple for almost nothing just look at the nice dark merino dress i have on well i only gave fourteen francs for it when i make no doubt it cost at least sixty and had scarcely been put on i altered it to fit myself and i flatter myself it does me credit indeed it does and very great credit too yes i begin to see now thanks to the temple you really may contrive to make a hundred francs a year suffice for your dress to be sure why i can buy in the summer sweet pretty gowns for five or six francs boots like these i have on and almost new for two or three francs a pair just look at my boots now would not any one say they had been made for me said rigolette suddenly stopping and holding up one of her pretty little feet really very nicely set off by the well-fitting boot she wore it is indeed a charming foot but you must have some difficulty in getting fitted however i suppose at the temple they keep shoes and boots of all sizes from a woman's to a child's ah neighbour i begin to find out what a terrible flatterer you are however after what i have told you you must see now that a young girl who is careful and has only herself to keep may manage to live respectably on thirty sous a day to be sure the four hundred and fifty francs i brought out of prison with me helped me on famously for when people saw that i had my own furniture in my apartments they felt more confidence in entrusting me with work to take home i was some time though before i met with employment fortunately for me i had kept by me as much money as enabled me to live three months without earning anything shall i own to you that under so gay and giddy a manner i scarcely expected to hear so much sound sense as that uttered by your pretty mouth my good neighbour ah but let me tell you that when one is all alone in the world and has no wish to be under any obligation it is quite necessary as the proverb says to mind how we build our nest to take care of it when it is built and certainly yours is as charming a nest as the most fastidious bird could desire yes isn't it for as i say i never refuse myself anything now i consider my chamber as above my means in fact too handsome for one like me then i have two birds always at least two pots of flowers on my mantelpiece without reckoning those on the window ledges and yet as i told you i had actually got three francs and a half in my money-box towards the ornaments i hoped some day to be able to buy for my mantelpiece and what became of this store oh why lately when i saw the poor morels so very very wretched i said to myself what is the use of hoarding up these stupid pieces of money and letting them lie idle in a money-box when good and honest people are actually starving for want of them so i took out the three francs and lent them to morel when i say lent i mean i told him i only lent them to spare his feelings but of course i never meant to have them back again yes but my dear neighbour you cannot refuse to let them repay you now they are so differently situated why no i think if morel were to offer them to me now i should not refuse them it will at any rate enable me to begin my store for buying the chimney ornaments i do so long to possess you would scarcely believe how silly i am but i almost dream of a beautiful clock such as the one i showed you just now and two lovely vases one on each side but then you should think a little of the future what future suppose you were to be ill for instance 
me ill oh the idea and the fresh hearty laugh of rigolette resounded through the street well why should you not be do i look like a person likely to be sick certainly i never saw a more bright or blooming countenance well then what could possibly have put it into your head to talk such nonsense as to suppose i could ever be ill nay but why i am only eighteen years of age and considering the sort of life i lead there is no chance of such a thing i rise at five o'clock winter or summer i am never up after ten or at latest eleven i eat sufficient to satisfy my appetite which certainly is not a very great one i do not suffer from exposure to cold i work all day singing as merrily as a lark and at night i sleep like a dormouse my heart is free light and happy my employers are so well satisfied with what i do for them that i am quite sure not to want for work so what is there for me to be ill about it really is too amusing to hear you try to talk sense and only utter nonsense me ill and at the very absurdity of the idea rigolette again burst into an immoderate fit of laughter so loud and prolonged that a stout gentleman who was walking before her carrying a dog under his arm turned around quite angrily believing all this mirth was excited by his presence resuming her composure rigolette slightly curtsied to the stout individual and pointing to the animal under his arm said is your dog so very tired sir the fat man grumbled out some indistinct reply and continued on his way my dear neighbour said rodolph are you losing your senses it is your fault if i am how so because you talk such nonsense to me do you call my saying that perhaps you might be ill talking foolishly and once more overcome by the irresistible mirth awakened by the absurdity of rodolph's suggestion rigolette again relapsed into long and hearty fits of laughter while rodolph deeply struck by this blind yet happy reliance upon the future felt angry with himself for having tried to shake it though he almost shuddered as he pictured to himself the havoc a single month's illness would make in this peaceful mode of life then the implicit reliance entertained by rigolette on the stability of her employ and her youthful courage her sole treasures struck rodolph as breathing the very essence of pure and contented innocence for the confidence expressed by the young dressmaker arose neither from recklessness nor improvidence but from an instinctive dependence and belief in that divine justice which would never forsake a virtuous and industrious creature a simple girl whose greatest crime was in relying too confidently on the blessed gifts of youth and health the precious boon of a heavenly benefactor do the birds of the air remember as they flit on gay and agile wing amidst the blue skies of summer or skim lightly over the sweet-smelling fields of blooming lucerne that bleak cold winter must follow so much enjoyment then said rodolph to the grisette it seems you have no wish for anything more than you already possess no really i have not positively nothing you desire no i tell you stay yes now i recollect there are those sweet pretty chimney ornaments but i shall be sure to have them some of these days though i do not know exactly when but still they do so run in my head that sooner than be disappointed i will sit up all night to work and besides these ornaments oh nothing more no 
i cannot recollect any one other thing i care for more especially now why now particularly because yesterday if you had asked me the same question i should have replied there was nothing i wanted more than an agreeable neighbour in your apartments to give me an opportunity of showing all the little acts of kindness i have been accustomed to perform and to receive nice little attentions in return well but you know my dear neighbour we have already entered into an agreement to be mutually serviceable to each other you will look after my linen for me and i shall clean up and polish your chamber for you and besides attending to my linen you are to wake me every morning early by tapping against the wainscot and do you think you have named all i shall expect you to do what else can i do oh bless you you have not yet come to the end of your services why do you not intend to take me out every sunday either to the boulevards or beyond the barriers you know that is the only day i can enjoy a little pleasure to be sure i do and when summer comes we will go into the country no no i hate the country i cannot bear to be anywhere but in paris yet i used once upon a time to go out of good nature with a young friend of mine who was with me in prison to visit meudon and st germain my friend was a very nice good girl and because she had such a sweet voice and was always singing people used to call her the goualeuse and what has become of her i don't know she spent all the money she brought with her out of prison without seeming to have much pleasure for it she was inclined to be mournful and serious though kind and sympathizing to every one at the time we used to go out together i had not met with any work to do but directly i procured employment i never allowed myself a holiday i gave her my address but as she never came to see me i suppose she like myself was too busy to spare the time but i dare say you don't care to hear any more about her i only mentioned it because i wanted to show you that it is no use asking me to go into the country with you for i never did and never will go there except with the young friend i was telling you about but whenever you can afford to take me out to dinner or to the play i shall be quite ready to accompany you and when it does not suit you to spend the money or when you have none to spend why then we will take a walk and have a good look at the shops which is almost the nicest thing i know unless it is buying at them and i promise you you shall have no reason to feel ashamed of my appearance let us go out among ever such company oh when i wear my dark blue levantine silk gown i flatter myself i do look like somebody it is such a love of a dress and it fits me so beautifully i never wear it but on sundays and then i put on such a love of a lace cap trimmed with a shaded orange colour riband which looks so well with dark hair like mine then i have some such elegant boots of satin hue made for me not bought at the temple and last of all comes such a shawl oh neighbour i doubt if you ever walked with any one in such perfect beauty it is a real bourg de soie an imitation of cashmere i quite expect we shall be stared at and admired by every one as we go along the men will look back as they pass me and say upon my word that's an uncommon pretty-looking girl she is pon honour then the women will cry what a stylish-looking man do you see that tall thin person i declare he has such a fashionable appearance that he might pass as somebody if he liked what a becoming and handsome mustachio he has and between ourselves neighbour i quite agree with these remarks and especially about the mustachio for i dearly love to see a man wear them unfortunately m germain did not wear a mustachio 
on account of the situation he held i believe his employer did not permit his young men to wear them to be sure m cabrion did wear mustachios but then his were quite red like his great bushy beard and i hate those huge beards and besides i did not like cabrion for two other reasons one was he used to play all kinds of scampish tricks out in the street and the other thing i disliked was his tormenting poor old pipelet as he did certainly m giraudeau the person who lived next to me before m cabrion was rather a smart-looking man and dressed very well but then he squinted and at first that used to put me out very much because he always seemed to be looking past me at some one by my side and i always found myself without thinking of it turning around to see who it could be and here rigolette indulged in another peal of merry laughter as rodolph listened to all this childish and voluble talk he felt almost at a loss how to estimate the pretensions of the grisette to be considered of first-rate prudence and virtue sometimes the very absence of all her reserve in her communications and the recollection of the great bolt on her door made him conclude that she bore a general and platonic affection only for every occupant of the chamber adjoining her own and that her interest in them was nothing more than that of a sister but again he smiled at the credulity which could believe such a thing possible when the unprotected condition of the young dressmaker and the fascinations of messrs giraudeau cabrion and germain were taken into account still the frankness and originality of rigolette made him pause in the midst of his doubts and refused to allow him to judge harshly of the ingenuous and light-hearted being who tripped beside him i am delighted at the way you have disposed of my sundays said rodolphe gaily i see plainly we shall have some capital treats stop a little mr extravagance and let me tell you how i mean to regulate our expenses in the summer we can dine beautifully either at the chartreuse or the montmartre hermitage for three francs then half a dozen quadrilles or waltzes and a ride upon the wooden horses oh i do so love riding on horseback well that will bring it all together to about five francs not a farthing more i assure you do you waltz yes very well i am glad of that m cabrion always trod on my toes so that he quite put me out and then too by way of a joke he used to throw fulminating balls about on the ground so at last the people at the chartreuse would not allow us to be admitted there oh i promise you to be very well behaved whenever we are met together and as for the fulminating balls i promise you never to have anything to do with them but when winter comes how shall we manage then why in the winter we shall be able to dine very comfortably for forty sous i think people never care so much for eating in the winter as summer so then we shall have three francs left to pay for our going to the play for i shall not allow you to exceed a hundred sous for the whole of our expenses and that is a great deal of money to spend in pleasure but then if you were out alone it would cost you much more at the tavern or billiard-rooms where you would only meet a parcel of low ignorant men smelling of tobacco enough to choke you is it not much better for you to pass a pleasant day with a nice little cheerful good-tempered companion who in return for the holiday you so agreeably pass with her will contrive to make up the extra expense she costs you by hemming your handkerchiefs and looking after your domestic affairs nothing can be more advantageous as far as i am concerned but suppose any of my friends should meet me walking with my pretty neighbour what then what then why they would just look at you and then at me and then they would smile and say 
that's a lucky fellow that rodolph you know my name do you why of course when i heard that the chamber adjoining mine was let i inquired the name of the person who had taken it yes i dare say every one who met us together would remark as you observe what a lucky fellow i was then the next thing would be to envy me so much the better they would believe i was perfectly happy of course of course they would all the while i should only be so in appearance well what does that signify as long as people think you happy what does it matter whether you are really so or not men neither require nor care for more than outward show but your reputation might suffer rigolette burst into an uncontrollable fit of laughter the reputation of a grisette said she do you suppose that any person believes in such a phenomenon ah if i had either father mother brother or sister for their sakes i should fear what people might say of me and be anxious about the world's opinion but i am alone in the world and i have no person to consider but myself so while i know myself to be free from blame or reproach i care not for what any one may say of me or think either but still i should be very unhappy what for to pass for being a happy as well as a lucky fellow when after the fashion of papa Cretu's dinner i should be expected to make a meal off a dry crust while all the tempting dishes contained in a cookery-book were being read to me oh nonsense you will be quite contented to live as i describe you will find me so grateful for every little act of kindness so easily pleased and so little troublesome that i know you will say why after all i may as well spend my sunday with her as with any one else if you have any time in the evening and have no objection to come and sit with me you can have the use of my fire and light if it would not tire you to read aloud you would amuse me by reading some nice novel or romance better do that than lose your money at cards or billiards otherwise if you are occupied at your office or prefer going to a cafe you can just bid me good-night when you come in if i happen still to be up but should i have gone to bed why then i will wish you good-morning at an early hour next day by tapping against your wainscot to awaken you why m germain my last fellow-lodger used to pass all his evenings with me in that manner and never complained of their being dull he read me all walter scott's novels in the course of the winter which was really very amusing sometimes when it chanced to be a wet sunday he would go and buy something at the pastry cook's and we used to have a nice little dinner in my room and afterwards we amused ourselves with reading and we liked that almost as well as going to the theatre you see by this that i am not hard to please but on the contrary am always ready to do what i can to make things pleasant and agreeable and then you were talking about illness oh if ever you should be ill then indeed i should be a comfort to you a real sister of charity only ask the morels what sort of a nurse i am you don't half know your own good fortune monsieur rodolph you have drawn a real prize in the lottery of good luck to have me for a neighbour i can assure you i quite agree with you but i always was lucky apropos of your late fellow-lodger monsieur germain where is he at present in paris i believe then you do not see much of him now no he has never been to see me since he quitted the house but where is he living and what is he doing at present why do you want to know because said rodolph smiling i am jealous of him and i wish 
jealous exclaimed rigolette bursting into a fit of laughter la bless you there is no occasion for that poor fellow but seriously my good neighbour i wish most particularly to obtain m germain's address or to be enabled to meet him you know where he lives and without any boast i think i have good reason to expect you would trust me with the secret of his residence and to believe me quite incapable of revealing again the information i ask of you assuring you most solemnly it is for his own interest more than mine i am solicitous of finding him and seriously my good neighbour although it is probable and possible your intentions towards m germain are as you report them i am not at liberty to give you the address of m germain he having strictly and expressly forbidden my doing so to any person whatever therefore when i refuse to tell you you may be quite sure it is because i really am not at a liberty to do so and that ought not to make you feel offended with me if you had entrusted me with a secret you would be pleased would you not to have me as careful of it and determined not to reveal it as i am about m germain's affair nay but neighbour once and for all do not say anything more on this subject i have made a promise which i will keep faithfully and honourably so now you know my mind and if you ask me a hundred times i shall answer you just the same End of chapter one part one read by celine major